Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, you may have seen or heard of the movie Cool and Gutter Gold. It was made back in the early 80s. Now, this week in the Beach Shack, I have the original winner in 1984, Guy Leach, and then he backed up the following year and won the Cool and Gutter Gold again. Now, Guy comes in and he tells his story from when he started becoming an Ocean Eye man racing in the Nutri-Grain series, and then the breakaway series of the Uncle Tobys, which went through the 90s, and then he became one of the legends of this Iron Man series. He also doubled triathlon, and he tells his story of when he retired and how tough that was. Now let's sit back and listen to my chat with Guy. This week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. It's a legend of Iron Man and also a mate of mine over the years, Guy Leach. Leachy, how are you, mate? Hoppo, it's a pleasure to be here. Mate, good to have you on. And I thought we'd chat about your career and everything that you've been doing. So what we start off that, were you born and raised around the Northern Beaches? No, so probably two of the biggest names out of Iron Man over the years would be Trevor Hendy and, and myself, and we were both actually born in Melbourne. So he had a bit of an AFL love and played AFL in the Masters after he retired from Ironman. And for me, my dad did a stint with St Kilda down in Melbourne when he was a kid, when he just left school. So we moved up when I was about five years old to um, to Mossman, which is just around the corner from the Northern Beaches. And so, yeah, so I sort of got out of Melbourne at an early age, but I still had that interest in AFL because my dad and we used to follow St Kilda and, and you know, and I still sort of liked the game. So, yeah, so no, I wasn't, wasn't born into it. And ironically, mate, when all the kids joined Nippers as kids, which you probably did as well, Mate, I was swimming in the pool. I, I didn't join a surf club till I was nearly 17. So there was a big gap for me and, and, and a big catch-up in what I had to do. Yeah. So did you play a bit of AFL when you came to Sydney or were you into the pool and, and doing the pool swimming? I played rugby league. Like so, I went to a Catholic school called Morris Brothers. And so the, the high school was at North Sydney. There was across the road from, remember the North Sydney Oval where the North Sydney Bears used to be in the comp world. Our school was directly across the road and the school was right big into rugby league and, mate, I used to play in the, the school team and, and we had a handy team. Some of the guys that that went right through end up playing for the Bears first grade. My coach in the footy team and also our PE teacher was a guy called John Gray and John Gray played for Norse and he, he played for Manly as well. He was the pommy guy that brought the around-the-style kick to rugby league before they were just kicking front on. But, mate, by the time I was 16, I would turn up to swimming on a Monday morning, battered and bashed from the weekend playing footy, 
and our swimming coach, who was then the Olympic head coach of the Australian swim team, said, you're either going to keep doing rugby league on a weekend and not go and represent Australia or give up rugby league and have a proper crack at swimming. And so that was it. The footy was out. Right. So the idea was you wanted to continue the swim career and the aim was going to the Olympics. Was that something? Yeah. So look, I, I, um, when I was eight, I got in the pool and swam because I used to get colds turned into bronchitis. I was that kid that obviously had a weakness in his chest and, and it'd go to the chest. And so the doctor said to my mum, get him in the pool because that'll strengthen his lungs up. And so I jumped in the pool and straight away I loved the whole whole concept of swimming training, workload. And I went to the first swim, swim state titles when I was nine. Didn't know how good I was, I suppose, and won the, won the 100 breaststroke for my age and broke the national record. And, you know, I can still, you know, talk to you right now and remember touching the wall going, shit, you know, I just won. And then secondly, you know, the time that came up that the officials told me, they said that's a national record. So I was like blown away. And the feeling I got from from winning, for me, like you've probably interviewed lots of athletes with your podcast, but for me, the intrinsic journey that I was searching for was always the feeling of winning. And, and, and that was what I searched for in training, trying to win in training. And it was what I obviously searched for in, in racing. And I did that wanting to go to the Olympic Games. Yeah, that was, that was it. And then as you got older, this movie came along, Cool and Get a Gold, and also the race Cool and Get a Gold. So tell us, you know, you're in the pool. What made you want to go to a race like that? Well, mate, the, the, the swimming career finished the, the, the night I saw Grant Kenny and a Kellogg's Nutri-Grain ad. It's really weird, right? So <laughs> I was sitting there after swimming training. Mate, I, at this stage, I'd represented Australia in the pool uh, on a team not the Olympics. It was still two more years to go for the Olympic trials. I was on course to, you know, have a real crack. And and at that stage, I would have been 18 in the pool at the trial. So I was a good age for like my size and development strength-wise to have a proper crack. And Riddow was doing the same thing as well, Craig Riddington. We were trained in the same squad. Now, I, I, I was literally finished dinner. I was watching television. And it was must have been the first day that Grant Kenny, you know, his TV commercial came on with Kellogg's Nutrigrain. And, you know, I saw this guy running out of the surf and paddling a ski up over the waves. And they set up this mock race, you know, with the TV commercial and him raising his arms to win. And and then you heard him, you know, saw him turn the camera and say, you know, with a Kellogg's Nutrigrain bowl and say, you know, took a mouthful and said, tastes great, stays crunchy. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> Mate, I want to do that. And I knew Rido because Rido was, was dabbling in Ironman at the time and also swimming. But, mate, I hadn't even joined a surf club. I, I didn't know, um, you know, anything about that other than swimming well. And literally the next week I joined Manly Surf Club. And, mate, it was, it was a year later that a poster on the wall came up in the surf club and all of us saw this poster that said, cooling out of gold, big race on the Gold Coast, Linked to a movie, twenty thousand dollars worth of gold for first place, fifty thousand dollars in total prize money, and you know this is nineteen eighty four, so we're talking a long time ago, and I've been training for just over a year for Ironman, and 
you know, Rido and myself and a couple of other boys said, yeah, we're going up in nine months' time and we're going to give this race a crack. And that was that was it. My life changed on that day. It just changed completely. Well, I remember I interviewed Rido a while ago and I said to him, what, what's the uh, most disappointing thing about doing Iron Man? He said, introducing Leachy to Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, he would have won a lot of races. He would have won a lot of races, that's what he said. He was, he was a bridesmaid for a fair few since you came into it. Yeah, like you know, the thing with the thing with Rido was that you know I learned probably more from him to do with Iron Man than I did from anyone else. I certainly learned what was possible because I saw what he was doing and thought if he can do that, then I can have a crack at it too. And he was stiff in that when he first started, Grant Kenny was there. And he was the first proper professional Ironman racer, didn't have, uh, racer that didn't have a job and did it full time. I turn up and and have a knack at it, and particularly the long races, I, I was nearly unbeatable at, at anything over an hour or so. And he caught me. And then you know, as our careers went on, a guy called Trevor Hendy turns up and puts him in a second place and a whole bunch of races. So look, yeah, it it is funny. It's funny how it works. Yeah, and he was a big part of why I joined the circle at Manly. So, yeah, poor old Rido. <laughs> <laughs> How did you train for that? So, obviously, you guys had no idea. Cool and got a goal. Let's uh, paint the picture on the distance and, and what you need to do. And, you know, no one really knew how to train for that, a race like that. It was potluck. It was just it was just a crap show, really. The Ironman race at a surf carnival that, mate, we all knew that still goes around today. So, we go to a surf carnival, there's the beach sprint, the boat rowing and – Different events and the Ironman event because of Grant Kenny became this sort of this sort of godlike event that everyone wanted to do. So if anyone had an ability to be good across the board on the ski and the board and the swimming, they'd have a crack at Ironman because he, he made it really, I suppose, interesting to do and and it was getting a lot of PR and publicity. But that race only went for fifteen minutes. You'd, you'd literally swim out around a couple of boys. Board paddle, paddle board out around a few more, and then paddle your ocean ski, surf ski out around a couple more. And, and, and if you added it all together, it was probably 15, 20 minutes if the surf was bigger. Now, the cooling out of gold in 1984 took me four and a half hours to win. So, like, you know, when you start talking about the difference in time, it is like just night and day type stuff. So, we the race itself the first year was imagine doing this. In, in January heat on the Gold Coast, in 35-degree heat, it was an 11-kilometre run to start with. So running from Service Paradise down towards Coolangatta. You then jumped in, swam another five kilometres down towards Coolangatta, got out, ran four, then got out, paddled your board another 5K, and then ran a kilometre to Greenmount down the end there. Once you got there... And mind you, there was 200,000 people watching this as we were doing it. You got on your ocean ski and no rest and you paddled all the way back, 46 kilometres in total. So to answer your question, how do you train for it? Mate, the thing that Rido and I had up our sleeve and a few other guys was that we took swimming training and what we did in the pool and we literally thought, well, let's just sort of try to do this across the other elements of the race, being the run leg and what have you. So we had an understanding of how you set training blocks up, but you just didn't know how the body was going to handle four and a half hours 
in 35 degree heat. And, you know, there's some unbelievable athletes that can handle cold water and cold conditions better than hot and vice versa. And on that given day with 100 athletes that turned up from all around the world to do it, mate, it was open slather to work out just how good you were. Like I had no clue I was going to win. No clue whatsoever. One of the boys in Manly Surf Club put $500 on me to win at 40 to 1. So he won $20,000 on me because he thought what he saw in training was going to add up to me going well. But let me tell you, I was not confident and I was just happy to go into the race, not embarrass myself and um, just do the best I could. Yeah. And then you did win the race. So how was that feeling, winning the cool and get a goal? Because it probably started putting long-distance Ironman on the map from there. We created a sport. So that, that given day – so I, I say this to people and I'm trying to think I, – I can't think of anyone that probably has had this happen to them like it happened to me. So I turned up on that given day to the beach as a 19-year-old who – was unbeknownst to the general public in any way or form. I'd done nothing special enough in sport to get enough media attention for anyone to know me. And by the time I woke up the next morning after the race with a hangover, mate, I was on the front page of every paper in Australia. I was on the lead on every radio network news that day, and I was in the front lead on, on every TV station that day. So I literally went from being unknown and in 24 hours, the whole country knew who I was because the movie and the hype around the movie was so big and what they did to promote it. So, you know, on that given day winning it, there were there were a couple of feelings during the race that I'll never forget. One was I did the first run leg, that 11 kilometres, in about 25th position uh, out of 100. So I ran... Good, and I knew that the next five-kilometer run leg was when I could exude my strength, which is the swimming. And at the time, I was ranked high up in the world for marathon swimming, um, and just beating the guy that was ranked number one in the world. So I was good at that. But I knew that Rido in that race was the best swimmer in the field, and I knew that if I could be in front of him after the run leg, I would look for him to come through and jump on his feet if I could and get him to swim me through the pack and not have to look and just save energy on his feet. And that exactly happened. Rido swam through. I looked for him, found him, and jumped on his feet. And he swam us from 25th into first place with a guy called Robert Chapman. We got out of the water. And in the first run league, most people wore running shoes because it was low tide on the beach. It was, was really hard, compact sound, sand. And um, we had shoes there on the next leg to wear them again. Mate, I ran out with Rideau and Robert Chapman and there were seats there to, to put your shoes on. It was all set out on your numbers that you had um, for the day competing. I made a split-second decision to not wear the shoes and do the run leg without, of it, without it to go and get an advantage on the rest of the field. I jumped Rideau, jumped Robert Chapman and that moment probably – an hour and 20 minutes into the race was the last time I saw anyone. I stayed in front for the next three hours of the race. Now, that was a decision that obviously set up my win. But the feeling I had right then was, to answer your question was, mate, you're in front now. This race may never occur again. You may never get given this opportunity again. You may not win today, 
but do everything in your power and bust yourself to stay in front for as long as you can. And if that's for another three hours, well, so be it, because this thing might not ever happen like this ever again. And, you know, I got down to Coolangatta with a minute and a half lead on the field to jump on a ski and paddle back the other way. And, mate, I wasn't really – I shouldn't have got back the rest of the way with my background and how long I've been paddling for, but I just did it on guts. I, I was so determined to, to hold the field off that, you know, I suppose the mind took over from the body and I did something that I probably wasn't meant to do. And when I got to the finish, I was in shock. I was elated. I was dumbfounded. And the size of the crowd and the hype on that day, there was 15 helicopters in the air filming it because they were filming all the backdrop for a race as well to put that into the movie. So, like, to this day, nothing like that's ever been seen again in Ironman racing. So I was in shock, to be fair, Hoppo, and I'll say this now, which I never said at the time because I I didn't want to show weakness to anyone. I was surprised I won, and I walked off the beach going, had the conditions not been flat, only two-foot surf, and had there been – the fact there had to be wind blowing up and it was tricky conditions, I knew I wouldn't have won. So I remember walking off the beach going, mate, celebrate your win, but if this thing's on again next year, which they talked about it being on again, then, mate, you need to improve because you will not win again if, if you don't. So I, it, there, there was that in the back of my mind as well, yeah. And then the following year you did enter again and you did win the second year. Yeah, so look, I, I went to town on my training during the winter and, and the advantage I had – over the rest of the field from the first year was, mate, I knew what it took to win and I did that. But I knew very well, see, Grant Kenny was actually in the movie playing himself. He was that big a name at the time that he was like just a megastar and he played himself in the movie so he couldn't race, but he was racing the second year. They put another $20,000 on first place and the media built it up as who's the greatest Ironman? Is it Grant Kenny at the moment? or as a guy leech. And so I literally went from the first year of going, there is no pressure on me, mate, no one knows who I am. And if I don't win, it doesn't matter, to being this is the first time I've really felt pressure. But I knew I trained really well, but it was really interesting that that I was so nervous before the race that I actually didn't want to be there. And I didn't like the feeling of just, the nerves that were coming through and I felt scared, you know, like I've, I literally felt scared of the, of the enormity of the situation. And look, I won by five minutes or something. So I, I smashed the field and I smashed them not because I'm more talented, not because I'm, you know, I'm bigger and better. I, I beat them because of my preparation and, and I knew how to train for the race then and I learned. But I walked off the beach going – I don't want to keep doing this in my career where I, I race scared. I race scared the whole way. And it took me six months to really be able to go and just teach my brain, my mind, to change the way that I actually saw racing and dealt with pressure. Because I, I just thought, man, if I'm going to do this as a career, and at the time a Kellogg's Nutrigrain Ironman series popped up, I hadn't lost a race at that time, um, and I was Johnny on the spot to, to, to really go and, 
and, and make make the most of it. But I thought, no, nah, you can't race like this. And I literally just, it was simple as me going, you know, no one really cares whether I win or lose. And the pressure I'm putting on myself is my brain doing it to myself. And, you know, I care how I go, but, you know, you need to dial down the, the nerves because, mate, the amount of nerves that you're feeling are going to work against you, not for you. And that was it. And I, and I taught myself to do that. Now, the, you mentioned the Nutri-Grain series. That was sort of the start of, of professional Ironman. But then came the Uncle Toby series, which really took it to that next level. We had a good run with the Ironman stuff with Kellogg's Nutri-Grain. And, I mean, they were great supporters and still are of, of the sport. You know, we got the opportunity to grow the sport by, I suppose, a rival company coming in and looking at the opportunity and opening up the, the checkbooks to come up with a national series on television that was all the things that we wanted that um, at the time Surf Lifesaving that were running the, the Ironman series weren't prepared to give us. And it wasn't about the money. It was more about the style of racing, mixing formats up, going to different beaches. We, we didn't get a say in it. And, you know, history shows that, you know, Uncle Toby's came in and it created the Serial Wars. We got kicked out of Surf Lifesaving for a time. There was unrest. It, it, it gathered massive PR and, you know, for the Ironman competitors and the sport, it was a huge thing. I think most of the, the I'd say the wounds have all healed since then. Um, but, you know, it, it, it created megastars out of the Ironman that went to the Uncle Toby series that were winning races and, yeah, at the time, the, the athletes that were there at the top were some of the biggest athletes in the country as far as profile and opportunity and and everything that went with it. So it was a really strange time and it's hard for someone young listening to this to really understand. You understand, Hoppo, because you saw yeah. it from from the beaches and from the side, yeah. just how big the sport was. It was massive, huh? Oh, it was a massive, absolutely. You guys were like that Uncle Toby series, everyone in it were like rock stars. It was it was on the front page, the back page, it was on every media, every time you guys race, you race live on TV. It was a massive sport in the nineties. And you'd say too, like having been around the beaches and and just understanding the the hype and everything that you know, at the time the a few of the athletes in there were were bigger names than tennis players, cricketers or uh, football players. So yeah, it was enormous. Yeah. Hundred percent. And who out of that series when you're racing, who do you would you think was the the toughest competitor you had to go against? The one I least like racing because of just his ability to perform every time was probably Trevor Trevor Hendy. It, um, you know, I sort of came in and at the very start, and I probably didn't get Grant at his best. Like he was probably on the on the downslope a little bit based on having other interests and things. So I I wouldn't ever say that he was like my major rival. Like he'd sort of done his stint for four years where he was unbeaten and I came in and took over from that. And then like I raced Darren Mercer. Darren Mercer was probably the most talented endurance Ironman with me at the time. But then when the series split between Kellogg's and Uncle Toby's, I didn't get to racing. And he went with Kellogg's Nutrigrain. And so... For the first year or two, like I, I had a real stranglehold on those longer races and got a lot of what was going on. And then Trevor Hendy hit the scene and 
and was at an age where he showed that, you know, he, he was just special in what he did. And, you know, like he was, yeah, I, I, I was never afraid of him to race, but I was very wary in that he rarely put up a bad race and he rarely made mistakes in the surf. And as you know, like Hoppo playing in the surf all your life and being down the beach, you know, how hard it is to control the surf when it's big. I don't think there's ever been anyone better than him. Oh, yeah, I've got to agree there. It's what I've seen him do is just amazing on that equipment. Yeah, and, and like you just – and you would have seen him do things on television in those races where I was racing him where you sit back and go, I can't believe it. Just what he did there. Like that's, that, I remember once we were coming in on a wave at one of the beaches in the Uncle Toby's. It might have been freshwater, and him and I were in front, and the wave – like double double sucked, and where he was, it was really hard, and he lost the nose dug in, and he got flipped off the board. I held it, and I'm going into the beach going, oh, yeah, today's the day. He's, he's down. He's gone, right? I've, I've got a beat, beat Trev, you know, sucked in. And um, so the white water breaks. It explodes. I come out the front on the board. I'm laying down on the board, and I hear this, hey, Leachie. I look across and he's body surfing next to me. So he went over the nose, the board dug in. He got flipped over the front. He somehow dived forward, body surfed. He body surfed across to me and said, you wouldn't believe it, would you? And I'm like, <laughs> just just go away. Just go and die. Just don't, just, just piss off. So anyway, it gets worse because the board was flipping along on the wave, in the foam in front of the wave, right, just getting flicked forward towards the beach. He says to me, oh, there's my board, as he's got his head up with his hands forward, body surfing the wave. So we're still going in, massive crowd on the beach, screaming as this goes on. And he goes, I'll be back in a sec. He body surfs across to the board, gets on the board somehow, and then comes back to me on the board and goes, you wouldn't see that every day, would you? And I'm like, how do I beat this bike? So, you know, like, yeah, just ridiculous and things that, like, I've never seen that happen before. And, you know, we're talking about, like, you might do it in training, but you don't do that in the pressure of a race, you know, like like he did. He did. So, yeah. No, he's an absolutely amazing athlete. Freak, freak, yeah. Mate, also, uh, you did win the Molokai in Hawaii. Yeah. Back in uh, 94, was it? I think so. Mate, it's a long time ago, but I'll take it. <laughs> was uh, Dean Gardner must have been racing that day, mate. Yeah, well, you know, can I say that the, uh, the great Grant Kenny, who'd won, who'd won about six of them, and, uh, and Dean Gardner were all uh, in there on the start line, and um, <laughs> the Ironman, mate, took, took the chocolates on that day. So, yeah, that was... Um, that was another one where hot, the wind the wind didn't blow. And for people listening that know ocean paddling and the like, um, you know, best conditions are downwind where you can catch it and it's fun and everything. But this day was a grind. And, look, I prefer catching swell and going downwind with the best of them. But to be fair, back in those days, if I wanted to win, mate, the grind was my best way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So when those conditions appeared and that was the first time I went to Molokai that that year when those conditions appeared that morning where the wind wasn't coming up to the back hour of the race and it was 35 degrees no breeze I'm like mate I could do it today even though I didn't know the course that well and and so yeah I, I got up and Martin Kenny Grant Kenny's brother got second and 
Dino got third. So yeah, it was a, mate. I was it was a really enjoyable win that one. You went to triathlon. Why the decision to go there after Ironman? Yeah, I did, didn't I? Look, in 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 hindsight, it was a mistake. To be fair, I'll give myself credit in that, mate. It takes a lot of guts guts walking out of your comfort zone and trying something different. And I did that. I did it because it was a televised series at the time on TV and I had this three-year plan that I wanted to go and do the Hawaiian Ironman and have a proper crack at it. And there was a guy called Dave Scott back in the early 80s and around when I was winning Cooling Out of Golds and Ironman racing in the surf that I looked up to and watched. And he was he was winning the Hawaiian Ironman. And I just looked at it and went, mate, I could do that pretty well, I thought. And swim was not an issue where I could be right at the very pointy end at the very front of the swim and I knew I could run in heat and run distance as well and then it was workload on the bike and I could handle the heat well in racing. So look, it was a dream and I thought the um, the triathlon series on television was a good way of stepping into it. At the time, probably triathlon in Australia was at its peak worldwide, like guys like Greg Wells, Brad Bevan, Miles Stewart, that make the names go on. They could win all around the world, and I raced those guys. So I put myself squarely in the deep end, did a few races in the series, beat some guys, but there were the 20 best guys in the country and probably in the world that raced, and I did it for a, a challenge. I was probably – I was at the, the, the end of my – like I'd done 12, 13 years of surf Ironman, and I, and I just wanted to do something different. And Hoppo, the thing was that my body was busted by then. I kept getting reoccurring injuries and sicknesses and I probably, in, in hindsight, looking back, I should have taken a year off and just got my body healthy and then either gone back into surf Ironman for another three or four years or um, then had a crack at triathlon. But, mate, you, it's always easy in hindsight, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, mate. When you were finishing that professional side of the sport, was there any times you sat down and, and really struggled that – you're not at that level anymore. Was there any time that you felt that way? I, I was always worried that I was going to go too long and be that guy, that that athlete that people said, oh, geez, he used to be good. Yeah. Remember remember when he could win races? You know, mate, I just didn't want to be that person. And, look, I loved Ironman, but I love winning more. So, you know, like you get you, – you, you, you've met a lot of people that are highly competitive – Mate, it, it's nearly like a curse to me where it still bubbles in me every day and there's a sense of urgency in me to want to get better all the time. I do that with golf now because I, I can't do it with the things I used to do. So I was very aware that, mate, I'm getting out when I can't – I don't think I can win anymore. And and to be fair, my last Uncle Toby's Ironman race that I did professionally, I finished third and I was winning – leading into the last leg and got hit by waves on the ski. And, and you know, I didn't win and that's fine, but I, I certainly could have won, you know, under different circumstances. So I, I still got out of the top, but I was very aware that the reason why I, I got out was because I wasn't willing to do the extra 2% above everyone else to keep winning. That was it. And I knew that my, if, if, if people have got superpowers – my superpower was my preparation. I wasn't more talented than some of the guys. Physically, there might have been guys who were bigger and stronger than me, but the thing I had over others 
was my ability to prepare for races. And that was evident that I never lost a race over two hours in my career. It wasn't because I was better. It was because my preparation was better. And so I knew that once I wasn't willing to go and do that and do the extras, it was time to move out. Yeah. Mate, then eventually you, you did go on Australian Celebrity Survivor and you've ended up in the Hall of Fame as well. <laughs> what was what was that experience like? Oh, look, it was like for me, Survivor, the TV show was, it was one of the, as far as reality TV shows go, was, mate, was my pick. Loved it. Loved it to death. The whole family, big fans, would sit on the couch watching it, strategize over what they're doing, the whole caboodle. But I've been offered to go on Celebrity, the singing show, Big Brother, dancing. Mate, you've been there. You've done a couple of those little puppies, haven't you? <laughs> you've, uh, you've, uh, you've had a crack, but I've knocked them all back, right? The ice skating, the diving, cooking. Mate, I've knocked them all back. And reason, two reasons. Didn't love it. Didn't love what I had to do. Not my, not my thing. And I didn't think I could win. So it comes back to that competition thing again, mate. I do things because if I love it and I think I can win, I'll have a crack at it. And with Survivor, I loved the show and I dead set thought I could win it. So I prepared like I did with an Ironman race. I literally, you know, studied, found a guy that lived in the jungle over in Vanuatu, mate, picked his brains, did the whole thing and went over there super excited and just ready to compete. Yeah. It was awesome. And uh, you did win, and that was something that – did you expect that at the time or you prepared so well you were pretty confident you were oh, look, you, 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 I, I never went into any Ironman race thinking I was going to win, and it's the same with Survivor. But the thing I always did was I would stack my training program up against anyone, my preparation. And so I was very comfortable in saying to myself – Mate, I might not win today, but I dead set deserve to. And so I, you know, and so the the feelings and emotions that you get from that is that you operate positively. You're not scared. You, you you're brave. You're willing to have a crack, and you you're quietly confident. And, and mate, you you're scared of those type of athletes, those type of competitors, you know, because they're ready to bring it. Which Trevor was like, as an example, we spoke about before. Trevor had belief in what he did based on his circumstances. And so with Survivor, I went in going, you know what? I may not win, but Jesus, I deserve to because I've got myself ready for this. And and with Survivor and, and also Ironman, to a degree with the surf, you need a bit of luck. You need a little bit. Mate, the guys that are the best need less luck than the ones that aren't as good and other competitors. But you certainly, you don't need bad luck. And I got some good luck with Survivor. And because of it, I end up coming out on top. Well, mate, is it true or a myth that you trained Madonna and George Clooney? Yeah, it's true. Trained uh, <laughs> them, trained Aussie people like Kieran Perkins, right through to you know, losing weight with Jonathan Coleman, Casey Donovan from Australian Idol, Dicko, and then Hollywood stars as well. So, yeah, no, I've had a, I've had a fun and interesting sort of ride in that fitness space doing things that are um, – a bit different and meeting people that you otherwise wouldn't normally meet for sure. Yeah. Well, mate, uh, thanks for that. And uh, at the end of the, the – I do a segment, Five Fun Facts. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot. And uh, the the best thing here is you haven't had time to prepare for this. So I can uh, – I might get you on one of these. Well, I'll be thinking on my feet, Hoppo. I'll be doing my best <laughs> for you. Try not to embarrass myself. Okay. The first one, who is the messiest person you know? Oh, mate, my youngest daughter. Yeah. Mate, she's hopeless. So seriously, like 
I said to her last night when I went into her room, I said, mate, you're 15 years old. I said, mate, some stage you're going to be leaving home. It's like as an adult, as a parent, it's my job to try to prepare you for when you leave home. <laughs> so I'm failing miserably. So you, you just, can you throw me a bone? So, yeah, no, she's the worst for sure. <laughs> uh, what game are you really good at? Oh, look, I do, I'd like to say that, you know, you and I love golf. I'd like to think that, like, I'm down to four or thereabouts. Like, there's days where I feel like I can't hit it, um, as you know, like what it's like. But I, I'd like to think that that's something that I'm decent at. But outside of that, like, I'm, yeah, I, I'm handy across a lot of things, but I, I, I'm fair to say that golf's my passion. And, and the reason being is not because, like, I love hitting the ball, but it, 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 it's a measurement of, it, of improvement that I can, I can give myself to just appease that competition in me, that competitive side. So definitely golf, yeah. What reality TV show would you most like to see made? What does that mean? Tell me what that means. Well, what a reality TV. So you did um, Survivor. Would there be another TV show you'd like to see made that you would go into? Go on or, or just? Either just to watch because you're so passionate by watching Survivor or something that you'd actually go on. Yeah, right. The, um, mate, you know what? I'd, I'd go back and have another crack at Survivor. So Channel 10 rang me up a year and a half ago. So they said, listen, we're doing a – Champions versus Challengers series. Mine was on Channel 7, so there's that network politics, as you know, with Bondi Rescue and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and I said, look, come back to me. I'm, I'm interested. Let me know. It, it fell through, but I, I love Survivor that much. I'd, I'd go back and have a crack. Yeah. Yeah. What's something your brain tries to make you do and you have to will yourself not to do it? Oh, compete. So fed income. Like, <laughs> we've got the 20 beaches coming up, I in another couple of weeks. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've just ended in that, so I'm going to have a crack. Yeah, so you've got the same problem, right? So this is, this, is the, um, this is the conundrum of life in my head. Mate, I know I can't win if I go in it. I try to talk myself into, oh, it'd be fun to hang out with the, with the gang, do the, do the, the, the race, you know, get the feelings from it, go to the presentation. And then the other part of me goes, but you're kidding yourself because two kilometres into the start when you're not up the front because you're 57 years of age now and you paddle three to four hours a week, not 20 hours like the other boys of half your age or less, mate, you're going to do your head in and hate it. <laughs> so, like, so I've, got that, I've got that problem going on in my head all the time. So, yeah, so it's definitely that, definitely. Yeah. What was the funniest way you've ever been injured? Oh, mate, I was mentally – so talk about, like, mental scars. I, you, I know you're sort of positioning this probably physically, but mentally. So the first cooling out of goal, picture Rideau's got 30s up on the dice. Lawrence Reese got second. They introduced me to the crowd. There's 20,000 people on the beach, packed, screaming, right? So I get up, they put the medal around my neck, give me the trophy, I raise my arm, the crowd goes nuts. I'm like, how good's this? And um, the mayor of the Gold Coast, head of surf lifesaving, and Michael Edgeley, the promoter of the movie, are all there. They say, now, guy, we'll go and get the gold, $20,000 worth of gold bullion, mate, and, they, and the security guy brings it over. And, mate, 20,000 people are listening. 
and they walk the gold over and they hand me a piece of gold the size of a Mars bar. <laughs> I turn to Rido and so picture me not realising that I'm mic'd up, there's a mic in front of me and I say to Rido, where's the fucking rest? <laughs> and it went over the whole beach. So 20,000 people heard. And so it was one of those mics where you know, when you talk, you don't hear your voice relayed for another second afterwards. So it's off-putting. But when I said it, I literally went, oh, no, I didn't say that, did I? And then I heard myself back a second later saying the F word to 20,000 people, saying where's the rest of the gold, and people were like falling down on the ground in hysterics. So when you start talking about injuries yeah. mentally, mate, that scarred me for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Great answers, Leachy. Mate, it's been a pleasure having you in the beach shack, and I reckon we should get you in again soon. Good on you, Hop. Good chatting, brother. Cheers, mate. Adios. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week in the mailbag is a letter from Richard, and he's from London. He says, how do you mentally prepare for your ocean ski races? Well, Richard, it's uh, something that I've been doing for many years and a lot of trial and error. I've made a lot of mistakes and uh, made a lot of uh, positive ones uh, leading into races. So what I do now is I look at what the tides are doing, what the swell, what the wind's doing. If I've raced that location before, I'll work out what went well, what didn't go well. I visualise in my mind catching the runs, which way it's going to bounce off the rocks, which way the swell's going to go. So visualising really helps me prepare for uh, any type of race in, in the ocean. So, mate, thanks for your uh, letter. And uh, everybody keeps sending them through to the mailbag. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.